You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, we're joined by Sally Grandy. Welcome to the island, Sally. Thank you very much for having me on today. Sally, it's always great to have new guests on Max's Island. It gives us the opportunity to hear a story from somebody who may have had a challenge in their life, where they may have made a decision to do something that was against the norm, or they actually just did something for themselves. Have you got a time in your life where something happened to you that may have led to an interesting story? Probably actually transitioning or coming over to Australia in the first place, I would say, which was, believe it or not, 10 years ago. But it's still so fresh in my mind (laughs) because we overcame so many challenges and so many hurdles. And I think many people might have um, just thought, right, this isn't the signs here. It's not meant to be and let's head back to England and just carry on with life there. What was the reason that you had to to come to Australia? Was it something that you deliberately did with your family or was it following a dream or was it following an opportunity? Uh, Probably not following a dream. So in 1991, I came over as a fresh-faced backpacker after doing a degree. We hear that all the time, yeah, people that come to Australia for for the sun and a a year or or two years of backpacking. So, So that was me. And I think if I'd really wanted to come to Australia, that would have been the moment. Don't get me wrong, I loved Australia, managed to get around the whole island, saw a lot. But there was a pull or a draw to go back to be with my family. In that stage, I was looking to get a job and a career. So I returned to England. And I suppose I came out at the last opportunity because I remember at the time you had to have a visa before you were 45 and I was 44. So the reason we came out was my husband... uh, at the time was a civil engineer, had lots of experience in project management. There was definitely a downturn in England. He was getting a lot of jobs like schools, working on schools, colleges, hospitals, uh, and was a lack of work for him. But we knew that Perth and WA was booming. And after a few negotiations, he was sort of told that there was a job on offer with him on the Elizabeth Key project, which was this big 
civil engineering project that was happening on the Swan River and would he like a project management role? And I think because of the downturn in England, we have four children aged 11 and under. We knew we would have good weather. We thought, well, this is too good an opportunity. Let's go for it. That project obviously was a huge project and it was the vision of the Premier at the time, Colin Barnett, and it was certainly a no expense spared project and it is a significant piece of infrastructure now and that's nearly complete with all the buildings around it. So it would have been sold as something that was pretty exciting. Oh, it definitely was. And as luck would have it, I was working in the broadcast industry, so I worked for ITV for 17 years out in the regions but in the news uh, operation and I had a wonderful career but also the television industry was going undergoing a change everything was going online people weren't sitting down at six o'clock and watching that flagship program so there was an opportunity for me to take voluntary redundancy so it was a case of look everything is aligning the stars are aligning this is what we should do I could take my voluntary redundancy we got a job for sure in uh, Perth and it's a great project let's do this but then yeah it didn't happen the way it should have done so it didn't happen the way it should have happened what happened oh well so we'd got someone to rent the house I'd taken the children out of school I was no longer working at ITV because I just literally left with this voluntary redundancy package Uh, we were packing up the rooms and then we had a five-minute call that ended it all on this uh, permanent residency visa that was being offered to us and that call was hey there's been a change at the helm we've got a new uh, premier and as an organization a company we're wobbling a bit and I'm afraid we're going to have to withdraw that offer and they were going to pay for our flights and everything that was the feeling where you're just like oh but we thought we would be going in a week, 10 days, and you were going to be paying for the flights and, oh. So that was the contractor? Yeah, just decided, yeah. So, do you know that day is still a haze? I remember walking around thinking, what are we going to do? Could I get the kids to go back to school? Would there be places at the school? I'd just taken them out. It was kind of a hazy day. But anyway... Long story short, in the evening, we sat down and we thought this, we were going to Australia. Let's continue on this path. Um, We've got enough points uh, to get in on the points system. So um, we just, as luck would have it, those points to help us and we could shift out within a month. It wasn't all lost. We could still continue on our dream, but we were taking a risk because I suppose there was no job and we have four children aged 11 and under. So it wasn't quite that route that we'd planned. But there was that safety net that that Australia or WA was a fairly buoyant economy and so the opportunities for work were probably going to be okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as it happened, we landed and three days later, my husband managed to secure a job. So it did work out. It was made in heaven. It was perfect then in the end. It was perfect for seven months, although I have to admit I was struggling. I couldn't get work, so I think that downturn had started to shift. Uh, uh, The joke was I brought the recession from England to Australia. There was definitely a change. I struggled to find work. But then we got a call about seven months after we had been here 
for my old next door neighbors because we rented the property out. This was a property that we'd built and I am biased, but it was a lovely property. It had taken us four years to build. Building a house in England is not like building a house in Australia. There's big challenges, hurdles with planning. We had to go to a meeting in front of 100 people, say why we wanted to build a house on this particular area. Uh, this plot of land did have planning permission, but only like in a corner, and we wanted to extend beyond the corner of this plot. It was a house of our dreams. It took four years to build and we only lived in it less than four years. So this beautiful house we'd rented out and my next door neighbour rang and said, I don't want to worry you, but your tenant is on the front page of the daily newspaper. What? Yeah. The tenant? Not in a positive way either. So basically, um, he'd, he was a dodgy dealing type man. Look, um, a lot of people have bad tenant experiences, but I think ours probably is one of the most horrific that you could speak to people about and would be up there. So had he been paying his rent? Uh, he had kind of been defaulting, but like many of these business common, they have the gift of the gab. So before we even flew out, he was in the car trade. Maybe bells should have started ringing. And he offered to buy our cars before we left England. We couldn't bring the cars with us. And I remember he said, how about I literally come to the airport and take them off you? And I thought, oh, this man's bending over back. Have we got a dream tenant? He wants to pick the cars up at the airport. Anyway, um, he did pick the cars up at the airport. He gave us a check. Hmm. Checks have been out of fashion for a while. We were a bit, yeah, a bit flummoxed by that, but we took the chance checks and uh, they bounced oh dear <laughs> that was a, not a good start there were inklings but he just said there was a misunderstanding and then he queried how much the cars were worth we did get some money out of him but it wasn't the amount that he'd originally agreed so yeah he was a, a dodgy car salesman and uh yeah and then we saw it on the front page of the paper and obviously he was in financial trouble because he stopped paying his rent and we were like worried about getting any money from him. And then he said he didn't have to pay rent because the house wasn't fit for purpose. But you'd only just built it. Yeah, and it was all professionally built. As I said, my husband is a civil engineer, but we had all the paperwork. And his argument was we had a basement and it was leaking. And the leak had um, destroyed the parquet solid oak wooden floor and meant that uh, it was there was damp issues and it was just not habitable. And for that reason, he was not going to pay. But of course, he still wanted to stay in the house. How long had it been leaking before you were told of it? Not not long, not long. Um, but he said there were structural issues and it was a significant leak. So I did a mercy dash back to uh, England to try and get to the bottom of this leak. Obviously, the house was insured. We'd insured it. As a owner, you have to have it insured. And they came, did a full <laughs> survey, and they basically said, there's nothing wrong with your basement. There's been, someone has tampered with your washing machine and it has been leaking for a significant period of time. And that's what caused the leak. So it wasn't anything structural. It was something that perhaps he might have tampered with. Exactly. And look, it doesn't sound much when you say the washing machine, but we literally think he took the hose off and it went down. 
Yeah. And anyway, it caused lots of issues, lots of problems. And eventually we had to take legal action and force him out. And just as I was mopping my brow thinking, thank goodness that tenant is out, we then had to face, you know, all the work to get our house back to scratch again. We weren't in the country. It took forever. It took two years. I'm not, I kid you not, to, to get it all back to the way it was. But it was covered by insurance. That was a good thing. And then did you sell the house? Uh, no, we, we didn't sell it. We, we did rent it. But the, what I haven't mentioned is we got a call probably about a year after this incident happened from Trading Standards. And Trading Standards said they'd heard that um, we were trying to sell him some cars and we didn't get the, the money, that our checks had bounced. And the upshot was they wanted us to come back um, because they were prosecuting him for doing these dealings where he wasn't actually paying anyone for the cars he was purchasing and would, would we come back and sort of give evidence at this this hearing. Uh, by that stage, I'd just have my phone and said, no, I can't, I'll give it to you verbally. So that hearing took place and he went to prison. <laughs> oh, wow. Was that the end of the story with the house or did you eventually sell it? The house has been sold. So um, our ties with England have been cut. Uh, as I say, that was 10 years ago now and life has moved on and things have got so much better. <laughs> Sally, you mentioned that you had a career in radio, in the media. Are you doing the same thing in Australia? No, something slightly different. So look, I, I had a wonderful career in broadcast. Um, when I was 16, I got involved with my local hospital radio. So that's how it all started, because I like to talk. So I would go to the wards, um, find out if people had any requests, then we'd have a show every Wednesday. That was myself and my friend, and it was great. And I thought, this is what I want to do. Went to university, got involved with the BBC. I was doing a business studies course, but after my involvement with the BBC, I did a postgrad in broadcast journalism, worked in independent radio in what I call was the heydays. And then six years after working in radio with the BBC and independence, I crossed over to ITV and I had a magnificent 17 years with them. It was really great. Um, it was great because the people you work with are fantastic. They're just, you never quite know. You come into the office every day, what stories would be going on, um, what you'd be covering. And, and that was the time when everyone was sitting down and watching the six o'clock news. So you had a, a rush of adrenaline every time you, you stepped into the newsroom. It was a great time to be going. But after 17 years, you had the digital... Space had emerged and so you were uploading all the news online. People weren't watching it live anymore and you could tell that the viewership numbers had dropped. So it was a good time to get out. But obviously landing in Australia, I thought this is all I know, journalism, writing, broadcasting. What am I going to do? So I kind of switched career and went into communications and content creation. I did a lot of work for public relations firms. Uh, I did my own freelance writing, whether that was articles, SEO type blogs or submissions for awards. And then um, I thought I, as much as I enjoy doing this, I think I want a structured role. So I landed a job with Visibility formerly the Association for the Blind. So I've been here or been at Visibility now for four years, four months, and I just love it. 
you get so much job satisfaction from the people you know you're part of a team that is making a difference and you get to know the people that are the client base really well because I'm writing the stories. I always say everyone has a story behind every person. There's this backstory. Some people have lost their vision suddenly and it's, um, you know, that's really difficult for them to come to terms with while other people like Ryan, you know, Ryan, um, he's been on Max's Island before. He was three when he lost his vision. So he's kind of more in tune with how his body works, adjusted to life really well and is very independent. So I'm very blessed and very lucky to be in this role that I do. For listeners on Max's Island, I obviously also had a background here at uh, Visibility and spent many years with the organisation and and rubbing shoulders and getting to know some of these people that Sally's just mentioned. And I think you're right that everybody does have a story and it's all so different and people do cope with disability and their challenges different ways. But at the end of the day, most of them are able to move forward, be supported and realise that they can still do so much. And I, I want to tell you something that happened this year that really lifted my spirits. And a group, we have uh, a band, a music band full of um, musicians and singers, all vision impaired uh, or totally blind. Uh, so they've got low or no vision. And they were invited to perform with the Perth Symphony Orchestra on a stage, on a platform, at a big event. It's called Coogee Live. It's held south of the river. And there was a couple of rehearsals with Perth Symphony Orchestra that this band undertook. And I could just tell they couldn't believe it was happening because they're very accomplished musicians, even though they have no vision. Yet, they'd never had this sort of opportunity. But they were so chuffed and after they performed and they got a, a rapturous reception on this evening it was in March this year 2023 they couldn't stop talking about it for weeks and we had letters from the organizers the Perth Symphony Orchestra saying that it was fantastic the people that organized Coogee Live City of Coburn said you know this went far better than we could have anticipated and it was just such an inclusive event but they had that buzz that evening and it just continued. I was on the, the tour bus taking them back. The joke is that I'm their new roadie, but I was on the, the bus transporting them to the venue and back. And that atmosphere, just going back, driving back, everyone was just talking about it on a high. I just want to reflect back to your time in radio and in the media in the UK, where you may have rubbed shoulders with, with people that were famous, and that you mentioned that you you know would interview people and that was the last time you saw them you went back and wrote your story is that something do you think makes this role so much different where you can stay connected with the people that you're communicating with and learning the stories of whereas in the media it is so superficial that you're in somebody's life you understand their story for a minute and then they're gone i i think you're right you know i've never thought of it like that but i definitely think that's a a valid thing to mention and I would agree with you because even now I have some stories in my head and I can get quite emotional about them I mean I remember there was one uh 
you can hear my voice breaking. I was 22 and I was asked to report on the Lime Bay canoe tragedy. It might not mean a lot here in Australia, but it was a group of four teenagers who lost their life on a school trip off Lime Bay in Dorset. Uh, and it was like a holiday. They were away for five days and then one day they were all on the canoes. There was a group of them and four children never came home. They they passed away. They were 18. And as I said, I was only four years older because it was one of my first jobs. And even now, I sometimes think those children would have been just four years younger than me, but they didn't live. Um, but I will sort of, if ever there's a story online because even now, all these years later, there might be some new regulations as a result of the Lime Bay canoe tragedy because it was such a big um, event, if you like, a, a, a disastrous thing that happened that it, it pops up now and again on the news because something else has happened and it harks back or echoes to this. And that pricks up my mind because, like you say, you do these stories and I think, I wonder what the family of those loved ones who I spoke to, I interviewed, I sort of got to know are doing now. Whereas obviously here, uh, visibility, I'll write stories, but they'll continue to be clients. So you know what happens with them because they kind of keep in touch. And obviously there's social media now as well, which helps with that process. Sally, as we wind up your time on Max's Island, I really enjoy the way that you have transitioned into your career and been now part of the disability network mm -hmm. and as I said I really understand how important that is to connect with people and what, what such a impressive community it is and how that um, you really do feel part of it. Yeah and you know there's a lot of people in this world that wake up in the morning they go to work they don't enjoy it they're disengaged and it's just a means to make money. I'm blessed to be one of those people who's not in that position. Every morning I get up, I'm going to meet people. I'm going to write stories, some of these stories about people that have overcome real difficult challenges. And, it, you know, I feel honoured and humbled to be able to do that. Well, Sally, thanks so much for being on Max's Island. Really love that uh, you're part of a community that, that I feel I'm part of um, at Visibility and... Um, people who are blind and vision impaired in WA. So it's great that we're now connected that way. But in particular, thanks for being on Max's Island and sharing your unique story of coming to Australia. And we're so glad that you're here with us in Perth. Oh, well, thank you very much. And I'll get back to shore now, do I? <laughs> I'll row. <laughs> thanks, Sally. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur. Oh, work and no play. And how, how it had turned out this way. He told me his plan a short term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulin track. Go it alone.
Every sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky. Completely alone, no emails or phone, and nothing. 